When you need milk for Zoe and a cold brew for yourself, Kroger Delivery will get you just what you need in as little as 30 minutes. Open the Kroger app and start your cart, whatever the cart. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Delivery time's not guaranteed. Restrictions may apply. See site for details. When you're a Boost member, you get free delivery, double fuel points, and lots more. Sign up at Kroger.com slash boost. The world is always on. But you shouldn't be. Put junk sleep to bed. At Mattress Firm's Black Friday Now Sale, save up to 60% on Sealy with Queen Mattresses starting at $279.99. Talk to a sleep expert today and unjunk your sleep. to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. As you've probably guessed from the title this week, we will be covering the Battle of Balaclava. So for those of you who managed to guess that right on the group, well done. Uh, It wasn't a very easy one. And a lot of people probably would have looked at it and went for possibly the most common answer or the most common thing that came out of this particular war now this war uh which the the battle was part of was was part of the crimean war and one of the most famous events from the battle of balaclava was known as the charge of the light brigade now this is possibly one of the most famous events i would say in in british history uh certainly in the crimean war and it is something that is very interesting I believe and it is something that is not necessarily covered on a you know on a on a high basis around the world it's uh, I think outside of of England most people probably don't know a huge amount about the Crimean War and if they do they possibly don't know very much about the battle of balaclava itself even though I would almost guarantee the majority of people listening to this have heard of the charge of the light brigade so we'll put it into a bit of perspective and we'll just talk a little bit about the crimean war i'll give you a little bit of a brief history on the crimean war um so you understand the the situation that uh, the british troops found themselves in on this particular day now the crimean war uh, was from 1853 to 1856 and basically it stemmed from Russia's threat to multiple European interests with its it had with pressure on Turkey so what Russia was doing is they were pressurizing Turkey into certain things that Turkey didn't particularly want to want to happen and Turkey declared war on Russia now Crimea is a part of um it's just north of the Black Sea, and it's part of modern-day Ukraine. 
Uh, now, at the time, it was it was split between Russia and Turkey, and the the Turkish the the Russians had certain parts of Crimea that were Christian, and there were certain parts that were Muslim. And at this time, the it was a very confusing border. Let's put it that way. Now the British and French demanded in fifth, uh, in eighteen fifty four that the Russians evacuate the uh, Danubian principalities in Crimea, and what they wanted they wanted them to leave, and they wanted France and Napoleon to take control of the Christian population in Crimea. Turkey also backed this idea and Russia decided that they weren't happy with that decision and that they were not going to leave and this is what sparked really the the main point the main parts of the war which was from 1854 to 56 before that Britain and France hadn't really got involved um Britain and France sent their troops into Crimea and they laid uh, laid siege to the city of Sevastopol in 1854 and this carried on for like I said carried on for two years until the Russians agreed to the terms of the Treaty of Paris which was written in 1856 where they surrendered and gave up certain parts of their land and Crimea was reshaped so Europe was then reshaped to you know, to a little bit to what you would learn from the First World War. So, prior to the First World War, Europe looked very similar. Prior to the Crimean War, again, it looked slightly different. So, borders and things like that throughout history in Europe changed hands quite regularly. Um, and what you tend to find with the Crimean War is most people, when they look at the Crimean War, they learn about the the lady of the lamp which is Florence Nightingale. Now, Florence Nightingale is probably one of the most famous women in history. Um, you know, known as the, you know the modern day nurse and it's uh, very important to remember people like that in history. Obviously, we're not going to be talking too much about her today because that's something I can cover in, in a completely different episode when we focus a little bit more on certain people throughout history. So let's, I mean, we, we call them the Allied Troops, uh, which is Britain, France and Turkey. And the Allied Troops, like I said, were laying siege to the city of Sevastopol, which is a, a port city to the south of Crimea. What they did when they came into Crimea, they were slowly working their way down to get to Sevastopol. Once, if they'd taken Sevastopol, then the war would have been over because that was really the Russian stronghold in the Crimean Peninsula. So, what they did, obviously, they started to lay siege to this city in 1854, and around, you know, towards the end of October, um, in in 1854 the Russians started to fight back. They were starting to push the, the Allied forces a little bit a little bit more and trying to start, you know, almost to say uh, a good offence is uh is there was their way of defence in this situation. 
so their their plan was to instead of sit back and wait for the attack was to actually go out and force the attack themselves and they picked the town of Balaclava now the reason they picked that was it was a port town it was on the it was on the coast and it was pretty much a stronghold for the allies in the Crimean war in the peninsula and it was it would have given Russia a little bit more of a stronghold in in this in this fight that realistically they were completely outnumbered and on the 25th of October 1854 this is when the real battle started now the battle like I said is between uh, the United Kingdom France uh, modern day Turkey at the time they were known as the Ottoman Empire now again again this is something throughout history where where empires you know they lost their borders and things like that but it's modern day Turkey for for everyone else so um, and they were against literally just the Russians or Russians and Cossacks now the British strength at this time was around 20,000 men and the French was around 7,000 men the Turkish contributed about a thousand men and they came up against 200 uh, sorry 225,000 Russians and you know realistically the the allied forces outnumbered them but again this is something where we've learnt throughout history that a smaller force can defeat a bigger force with the right tactics so when the battle commenced the Russians attacked the British line very very fast and they actually took the the front line of the British forces they took control of that straight away which left the British in sort of on a on a bit of a back step the problem with the russians at this point is instead of stopping at that front line they decided to carry on pushing forwards uh when they carried on pushing forwards they met quite a strong opposition of the main bulk of the british army and the and the turkish army and they were halted there in their tracks and you know it was almost a bit of a standoff at this point where the you know the russians couldn't really progress past that line of the British defence. There was a, you know, standard battles at this time, very back and forth, and the British had two cavalry, two cavalry units. Uh, one was the heavy brigade, which was the highly armoured cavalry, and the other was the light brigade. Now these were slightly quicker, more sabre rather than uh, rather than guns. And they were their job was to you know they were the better cavalry. Let's put it that way. They were the the faster soldiers. They were the faster horses, the better equipped soldiers, and they were designed to create a little bit more damage than the heavy brigade. But the the, the difference with the heavy brigade is that they took less damage themselves. So they were almost like the tanks of their day was was the heavy brigade, and the light brigade would be equivalent to you know your your fighter jets you know your fast quick action um attack so they were they had these two cavalry units and throughout the day's worth of fighting the light brigade had seen no action so you've got a group of soldiers here who are stood at a battlefield um and they want to fight they're witnessing all the fighting going on and they're actually witnessing their their army win you know the the british are winning at this point so 
they want to get involved they want to they want to fight and they're not being allowed to do so and you know this is something that comes into play when we look at the charge of the light brigade in particular because when you're in a situation as a soldier in in this situation in particular where you're not getting involved and you are you're almost like you've been put on the bench and you want to be part of the winning team you want to get out there and you want to you know score your goal or score your touchdown you want to go out there and make a difference and these guys weren't having that opportunity to do so and they were frustrated to say the least also when you you look at the light brigade they their captain or the the guy in charge was a, a man called captain nolan and he was very very famous and he is very important in this battle he's very famous for having a real belief that cavalry and cavalry charges are superior to any other type of of fighting and he genuinely believes that the the light brigade should be utilized and should be being used in this in this battle now he pleads over and over again let our guys fight let them go out let them you know let them get involved the light brigade are quick they're fast they'll get out there they'll create a lot of damage a lot of problems and they could win this battle you know a lot quicker than what what we're winning it at the moment and again and again and again he's being denied he's being told no you sit there and you wait for your orders and you know as a general or as a captain in this situation his job is not to get involved and to to he can't go against orders he has to sit there and listen and remain silent and watch it go on and get more and more and more frustrated as the battle goes on when you look at the reasons why the light brigade wasn't being utilized the the lord raglan who was the commander of the british army at at, at the battle of balaclava and his reason for not sending them into the battle any earlier than what he did was you know these were his best troops these were his ultimate fighters and if he sent them into the battle early and something happened to them then he would not be in a position to counterattack or to defend any counterattacks from the russians and he wanted to keep his main soldiers back until the the absolute last minute when he had no other option but to send them in and you can understand that to an extent um you know i'm not a military leader so i i can understand both points of view i can understand the point of view of saying you know we keep our best men till the end and we create the most amount of damage when our best men are at their fittest and i can also see the point of view saying well our best men should go in first because they're going to create the most amount of damage first so i can see both both sides of the argument but lord raglan decides no our light brigade will not go in until it is absolutely necessary lord raglan you know during the battle sees his opportunity to utilize the light brigade and he sees a group of russians to the outer side of the battlefield to who are basically stealing british artillery so where the british have retreated or died on the battlefield 
he can see a group of Russians, not a huge amount, but a group of Russians who are taking British weapons. Now, these this group is not well organised. They're not in a fighting formation. They are just there, and they're they're taking the British guns. And his order is sent. He writes his order down that he sends the light brigade to attack these Russians at the side who are stealing British guns. It gets the light brigade involved. It gets our artillery back, and also it kills a few Russians at the same point. So. It's a win-win, and it makes perfect sense to use the Light Brigade in that situation. So that's the order that's written down, and that's the order that's sent for them to follow. The problem is, the man who was in charge of delivering this note was Captain Nolan. When Captain Nolan approached Lord Lucan, now Lord Lucan is the head of the cavalry so he's in charge of the heavy brigade and the light brigade whereas captain nolan is just in charge of the light brigade so lord lucan is the man who is you know one step above and he said you know this is where the order is being sent from you know to from via captain nolan to lord lucan nolan this is debated throughout history and through historians but nolan says to lord lucan what needs to be done he doesn't hand the note over physically and what he says is that the light brigade is to charge head on into the russians and to take out and and re- take out the russians and retrieve our guns 5 minutes later the heavy brigade are to follow the light brigade into battle to basically to mop up any type of casualties that are going to happen or you know any Russian counterattack or anything like that. So what they're doing is they're sending in the quick troops first, followed by the heavy troops to make sure that they get a double knockout blow. This is where it gets debated a little bit. Now, the story goes that he Lucan asked Nolan where where are we going to send these troops? Because where he stood on the battlefield, he can't see any Russians and he says, you know, where are we going to send them? Where where, where are these guys going to go? You're telling me that I've got to send my troops in to battle, but where? You know, you show me where. And he points to the battlefield. He points, they're going in that direction. Now, he actually points in the wrong direction. And this is where the confusion comes in. And again, this is where it's debated throughout history realistically nobody is alive to actually know that what that's what happened and there's a reason nolan is blamed and i will go into that a little bit later where nolan apparently points is to the basically the main bulk of the russian army where he points is down a valley where the russians have artillery units on either side of the valley now obviously it makes sense that they're told to go and retrieve these guns they see the guns and this is where they believe that's where they're heading that's where they're going to retrieve these guns at the end of the valley it's debated that nolan sent the men into this valley because he believed that the cavalry like i said was superior and that direct head-on cavalry charges was the way 
you win a war and the way you win battles. Now, he wrote many books on this and many theses on this that he genuinely believed that this is the way to win a war. Now, to an extent, you can understand the the thought process behind, well, if this this tactic pays off, he's proved right that his theory on cavalry and head-on charges is absolutely 100% spot on, and no one can argue with him after that. However, this man is in charge of this unit. He probably knows many of the men, you know, on first-name basis, personally, uh, probably has a drink with them outside, you know, when they're, they're back at camp and things like that. So he's probably got quite a good friendly relationship with the cavalry, with the light brigade. And it's it's almost impossible to believe that that story and that reasoning is true because he was sending these men into a valley where there was artillery units on either side and artillery units right at the end they were they were good he was sending them into into certain death basically and it's it's very hard to believe that a a captain even though they believe their point might be right that they would send their troops in for certain death now, Lord Cardigan, who is the guy in charge of the Light Brigade troops, the man who leads them into battle, his job is to not question. He's, he's been given his orders, that's it, that's where you go, and get your men and go. And they don't hesitate, they go. They get the troops ready, and that's it, they're, in, they're off into battle, and they're that's where that's where they're heading you know they don't they don't question it they can see what's going to happen you know these guys are riding they can see the artillery units they can see the muskets they can see what's going to happen but their job isn't to question that their job is to follow orders and to carry on riding through this valley so the orders given forward the light brigade off they go now they approach the edge of the valley and there's no noise. They can see in the distance where they need to go. Or where they think they need to go. But there's no noise. And all of a sudden they hear the noise. Or they hear a noise. And what it is. Is it's Nolan. Captain Nolan. Sprinting up as fast as he can on his horse. Alongside the light brigade. And actually overtakes the light brigade. And he's shouting at them. Now, we don't know what he said, because within a couple of minutes, he's actually hit with a cannon, with a cannonball, and, and he's is killed there and then on the battlefield, and he is the fir- one of the first casualties of the charge of the Light Brigade, and the reason we don't know what he said is, is you can look at it both ways, you can look at it that he's gone to join his troops because he knows that they're heading into a situation that they they might not come out of and he's gone as a leader to go in and help or he's gone in to tell them to turn around because he's realised actually you go in the wrong way turn them round, get out of there because you're not going to get out now this is something we will never know throughout history and it's something that will always be debated and the problem is is Nolan was not there to write afterwards what happened at the battle. And because of that, I believe he became a bit of a scapegoat. It was him that pointed in the direction. It was him that sent the Light Brigade down this valley 
and it's him that's taken the fall for it. And also, he's not there, he's not alive to defend the decision that was made. Whether that was even the decision in the first place, he may or may not have made that decision. We're just told that that's that's the decision that was made. And this is where history becomes very, very interesting, because this happens a lot throughout history, and if you're ever writing any essays or you're ever doing thesis or anything like that when it comes to essay writing in history you can always argue the point that unless the person involved is there is alive if they die you really are talking about second-hand information and second-hand information is not as reliable as first-hand information not only that first-hand information can also be biased whereas second-hand information is less likely to be biased. So when you're looking at this in particular, the second-hand information that you are given is quite biased because they are blaming a man who is not there to defend themselves. And it is something that you can always, always debate throughout history as to whether Captain Nolan was to blame for this calamitous event. So now these 600 men are just charging down this valley and they are they're going health for leather health for leather they're really really going for it they can see the goal at the end of of the the valley but yet they're being attacked from either side they're getting constant bombardment and they are basically they're sitting ducks no matter how hard you know no matter how fast they're moving the amount of cannons, the amount of musket fire, the amount of damage that's coming into this valley, they're, they're really... And, and when they get to the end, they hit, they hit the main bulk of the Russian army. So not only are they... In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool too. With an ice-cold cold brew, and not just any cold brew, but one that's slow-steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavour. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Progressive presents Married to Your Home. I'm disgusting. Oh, house, don't say that. You could live someplace so much better than me. That's not true. Oh, yeah? Look at these uneven stairs. Gross. House, you know I don't care. Ugh, and the squeaky door hinge. I think it's cute. No matter how much you already love your house, you'll love it more knowing you could save big bundling your home and auto with Progressive. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a stuntman to do their home renovations. Just finished the new sunroom, Mrs. C. The best part is I used candy glass for all the windows, so you can do this. And this doesn't hurt a bit either. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. And if you don't want to take the long way to the kitchen, the walls are breakaway too. See? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. Now, are they getting there? Not only could they get there, what are they going to do once they're there? You know, it's... I think in that situation, I think every man on that horse, on those horses, knew that they probably weren't going to return from this 
from this charge. They were completely sitting ducks the entire the entire length of the valley. They do, however, reach their target at the end of the valley. Obviously not all of them. They are aided along the way by French cavalry who come up the side of the valley to take out the Russian some of the Russian guns on the outsides on the flanks. When they reach the end, this is their turn. This is their chance to do some damage and create, you know, the havoc that they've wanted all day. And like I said, remember, these guys, they're outnumbered, they're outgunned. And a lot of them are not gunned at all. A lot of these guys on, on these horsebacks, they, they, they're holding swords. You know, they, I know 1854, you know, muskets were invented, but on horses, they didn't have them. They didn't have guns. A handful of them may have had revolvers, repeating revolvers, but the majority of them were saber bearers. Now, when they breach that line, the light brigade, they they really hammer into the Russians. They start cutting them to pieces. They really start to butcher the men in front of them. And they actually start to force the Russians back. Now, the Russians retaliate with their own cavalry. And if the order is followed correctly, the heavy brigade should be on their way up the valley. They should only be five minutes behind maximum and that would give the light brigade that relief to know that they're not completely outnumbered on this battlefield to make matters worse this order is not followed the heavy brigade does not arrive they are nowhere to be seen on the battlefield the russian cavalry has arrived the light brigade are now outnumbered and lord cardigan is nowhere to be seen on the battlefield so these men are now outnumbered outgunned and they don't have a commander and they have no backup there is no one coming to rescue them and they turn around to go back down the valley and they find the russian cavalry or some of the russian cavalry blocking their way back down back down the valley their only option is to fight through and to charge the Russian cavalry and get themselves out of that situation and charge back down the valley, back towards safety. But yet again, if they break through this cavalry and they do manage to get through and back down the valley, they're then going to be repeated by the same artillery barrage that they were given as they rode up the valley this was a a no-win situation for the light brigade and to put yourself in that situation it's it's almost like i said these guys they, they must have known that this is it this is the end there's no there's no going back from this so they do actually find a small gap in the cavalry line and obviously the light brigade being as quick and efficient as they are managed to hit that gap and you know gallop the mile back to to allied lines the few that made it through and got back um 
you know these you're talking hundreds of men here that were killed and no side gained anything the russians gained nothing from it and the english gained nothing from it no one lost any ground no one gained any ground it was just an absolute killing field for no reason whatsoever you know even the russian lieutenant uh, kubidovich who was the the lieutenant on the field at the time um, he even said after the battle the english fought with outstanding bravery and when we approached their dismounted and wounded men even these refused to surrender and continued to fight till the ground was soaked with their blood so you know they had the the light brigade had this fearsome reputation and even though the men knew they were going to die and a lot of the men were dying they refused to yield and they refused to give up and you know when the enemy lieutenant turns around and says they fought outstanding you know that says quite a lot and that says a lot about the character of these men on horseback the men who returned from from this battle um you know they were understandably very very angry and very you know they i don't think they even knew you know how do you put it into words in this situation but what annoyed them more than anything was not the fact that the order that was given was wrong but the fact that the heavy brigade did not follow orders the light brigade was clearly given the wrong information they were clearly sent down a path to certain death however had the heavy brigade followed them and you know met them at the end of the valley there is the potential that you know they could have they could have stopped many of the men dying because once they got to the end of that valley had they have been reinforced they would have overwhelmed the russian cavalry now many of this many of the men speculated that the reason the heavy brigade didn't turn up was not because they weren't given the orders but because there was a feud between the two commanders the commander of the heavy brigade the commander of the light brigade had a, a sort of a, a feud between the two of them that dated back sort of around 30 years so they basically blamed this feud for the heavy brigade not following orders and and going into battle you can look at that from that side you can look at it from the side that the heavy brigade commander probably looked down that valley and went shit they're going the wrong way i'm not sending my men in i'm not sending them in to die again that that probably could be linked to to the feud because had they had they have had the you know had they have followed it could have been a very different story and and potentially you know not as many men would have been would have been killed so although really you know the charge of the light brigade was a huge military blunder you know uh, there was roughly 670 soldiers who went in uh, 110 were killed and 160 wounded now out of those 160 that were wounded as we know medicine was probably not at its best 
majority of those probably ended up dying from other infections due to that and you know the the cavalry they lost around 375 to 400 horses so you know a lot of these guys were captured or had to walk back to the battle you know had to walk back to to their line so although out of 670 officially only 110 were killed on the field you know they really as you can you know as you know you've listened to the story you can imagine how many how the fear of these guys and how they probably didn't none of them would have thought are we getting out of this alive so you know the the death and wounded rate is around 40 percent which for a battle of these these days is, is quite high you know it is quite a high percentage of of wounded um no one really won the battle of balaclava the only the only thing you can take from it the russians claimed victory for the battle because obviously the light brigade failed and they managed to repel the attack that the english sent and the guns that they had taken that the light brigade was supposed to go and stop they were the russians took them and paraded them through sevastopol and you know how good the the russian soldiers were and how they've managed to take these artillery guns off the english and so on and so forth so you know realistically nobody won that battle because no one got a decisive victory there was the english still held balaclava the russians still held sevastopol there was no military advantage to either side other than the fact that the russians managed to capture a few guns and kill a couple of hundred men you know on on horses so it was a bit of a strange battle and and really a, a battle that should never have happened and i suppose that's you know that's i suppose a lot of that is is history i mean a lot of ha- things that happen through history should should never have happened but you know that's that's where we learn so with this is probably one of the most famous poems ever um as far as i mean especially as far as i'm concerned i i've known this poem for a very very long time and that's that's the charge of the light brigade which is written by alfred lord tennyson and i will read it to you because it's uh well it basically tells the story in a in a short poem so it goes half a league half a league half a league onwards all in the valley of death rode the 600 forward the light brigade charge for the guns he said into the valley of death rode the 600 forward the light brigade was there a man dismayed not though the the soldier knew someone had blundered there's not to make reply there's not to reason why there's but to do and die into the valley of death rode the 600 cannon to the right of them cannon to the left of them cannon in front of them volley and thundered stormed out with shot and shell boldly they rode and well into the jaws of death into the mouth of hell rode the 600 flashed all their sabres bare flashed as they turned in air sabring their gunners there charging an army while all the world wondered plunged in the battery of smoke right through the lines they broke cossack and russian reeled from the sabre stroke 
shattered and sundered. Then they rode back, but not, not the six hundred. Cannon to the right of them, cannon to the left of them, cannon behind them volley and thundered, stormed at with shot and shell, while horse and hero fell, that they had fought so well, came through the jaws of death, back from the mouth of hell, all that was left of them, left of the six hundred. When can their glory fade, all the wild charge they made, all the world wondered, honour the charge they made, honour the light brigade, noble six hundred. So, that's the poem, that is, you know, for British history, one of possibly the most famous poems ever written, and you know, it's uh, it tells you the story. And, and for me, there are points of that that really, really get me. Um, and that's, you know, there's, there's not to make reply, there's not to reason why, there's but to do and die. And to me, that sums up any any man, woman, anybody who puts on an army uniform that's that's what they you know that's what they have to do they're there to take orders do or die that is their job and you know that's something that we should never we should never ever take for granted the men and women who do things like that who lay down their life and that's throughout history that's any man any woman throughout any battle in any country you know you've got to remember just you know, even the Russians, the the in this war, you know, you look at uh, the last episode, Gettysburg. You look at the Confederates from from the American Civil War. You know, any soldier who puts on that uniform and takes an order, knowing that it could be their last order they're ever going to take, and they just do it. To me, that that line sums up the heroes that put on those uniforms and the the people who do a job that I could never do and and I couldn't because one I don't take orders from anybody and two I it's just not it, I couldn't do it I haven't got the mindset to do something like that and you know utmost respect to anybody who who is in our armed forces or in the armed forces anywhere in the world you know thank you for what you do so there we go guys that is the story of the battle of balaclava incorporated with the charge of the light brigade so let me know what you thought let me know what you think of this this episode i have gone back to a little bit of british history i know some of you have had a had a word with me in private sort of saying you know do a bit more british history we we like our british history um it's not something that everyone's taught outside of britain so there we go there's a little bit of british history for you guys and you know i do hope you enjoyed it uh, going back to the point of last week like i said we do have patreon um for any support from you guys is is really you know really welcomed um for those of you who are interested in that like i said we will be doing um episodes every month that go specifically onto patreon that you cannot hear on your normal podcasting uh station so get yourselves on there get you listening to those and like i said we will be doing um videos from certain parts where i travel uh they're not going to be regular um because i don't travel that much but when i do travel um go to places where 
you know castles and like I said I, I will be visiting Auschwitz at some point next year um, they, these are things that I will be uploading specifically to Patreon so if you do want to get over there and have a look um, you know get yourselves over there it's This Week in History uh, failing that get yourselves onto the Facebook group This Week in History podcast on Facebook uh, if you're not comfortable with Facebook or you're not on Facebook uh, drop me an email twihpod at gmail.com we we'll always try and get back to you as, as quickly as I can. And uh, for those of you that are enjoying the podcast and do listen to me quite regularly, please leave me a review. Leave us a review on uh, on iTunes and I'll give you a shout out when I get them. Uh, even if you don't want to write anything, just give me a star rating. Uh, hopefully five stars, but give me whatever you, whatever you feel is acceptable uh, for, for this podcast. But, uh, you know thank you for listening guys and you know I, I really appreciate all the the messages that we get and all the feedback that i get from from the episodes you know i really really do appreciate it and thank you very much and just remember everybody we all have history so make yours great bye-bye finding the right person for the job isn't easy just ask someone who hired a stuntman to do their home renovations just finished the new sunroom mrs c the best part is i used candy glass for all the windows so you can do this and this doesn't hurt a bit either. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. And if you don't want to take the long way to the kitchen, the walls are breakaway too. See? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. When you love riding a motorcycle, you want to ride it everywhere, even getting a dental checkup. Mr. Carter, wouldn't you prefer the chair? I'm fine on my bike, Doc. Well, let me know if you feel any discomfort. And when you love saving money, you want to save even more. That's why GEICO makes it easy to bundle your motorcycle and car insurance. All done, Mr. Carter. Remember to brush, floss, and lubricate your drive chain regularly. Kickstart your savings with GEICO Motorcycle. Bundle and save on the things you love.